Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days. You can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and it is a treat to be back here today with Charles Eisenstein. Charles, how are you, brother? Hey, I'm great. It's amazing that you do that, and you sound, you probably do that for every show, and you sound like like totally authentically like overjoyed <laughs> and excited. Were you, about really to say, were you about to say I sound authentically you? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, where, like the sound is just, it's it's me now. <laughs> I've merged with the sound. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Guys, for those tuning into Charles for the first time, he's an American public speaker and author. Look, there is no way I can do this justice, but his work covers a wide range of topics. Human history, human civilization, economics, spirituality, spirituality, ecology. And some of the themes that we explore are anti-consumerism, interdependence. And uh, today we're going to explore how myth and narrative influence our culture in the way of the conspiracy myth. Um, I think just as a, as a, as a key preface, um, the, Charles has written an essay um, called The Conspiracy Myth, and it is 
it's gorgeously well written as Charles, you know, I don't think he can help himself when he writes. It's just always going to be epic. Um, but it's, it's really thought provoking and I'm really excited to dive into this today. So Charles, can you share with us, what is a conspiracy myth? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> it, I'll just give a little bit of background actually to the essay. Uh, it came because one of the things I said in the coronation was, wow, a lot of what's happening sure is juicy material for conspiracy theories. Mm. If there isn't a conspiracy going on, sometimes it sure looks like one. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people read that and thought, aha, he must be trying to smuggle in a conspiracy theory by providing all of this evidence that looks like a conspiracy and theory. Tuck it under the door. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and so pretty soon I was like reading critiques of the essay and discovering that I am in fact a right-wing conspiracy theorist. I'm like, gosh, I never knew that I was right-wing <laughs> or a conspiracy theorist. It's, it's, right. it's amazing. Like how on the internet, like people think they understand you. I got so much free of charge psychiatric <laughs> diagnosis <laughs> that I'm still working on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is part of the, actually, this is actually part of the phenomenon, which, mm. which is the, um, downgrading and dehumanizing of other people mm. and, and to, to put someone in an existing category that you have mm. a part of an existing, uh, preconceived world story. So if somebody says something that you disagree with, that must be because they mm. fill in the blank. Uh, so anyway, I wrote this, I'm like, okay, am I a conspiracy theorist? What is, what do I actually think about these? Because I think that a lot of the data points that the conspiracy theories draw from are totally valid. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is such a thing as a conspiracy. I mean, some of them have been revealed. Watergate was a conspiracy. Uh, um, Enron was running a conspiracy. Uh, COINTELPRO. The, you know, the FBI and the CIA actually were spying on and disrupting the civil rights movement and the environmental movement and Sanding Rock and so forth. Mm. So it's not like it's a ridiculous fantasy to say they ever exist, but that doesn't mean that the overarching theory, which is what I was writing about, which is mm. that the entire world, the workings of the world, all of its injustices and horrors are the product of a vast nefarious plot, hmm. a vast conspiracy that pulls all of the strings and controls all of the puppets. Like hmm. that, that theory of how the world works, that's what I'm referring to when I talk about a conspiracy myth. So I'm like, okay, why did I say a conspiracy myth? Hmm. If you just look at the title, you think, oh, he must be dismissing it as just a myth. But I think that anyone who ever says something is just a myth doesn't really yeah. understand what a myth is. Yeah. <laughs> Myths... Myths, whether or not they are literally true, they carry truth. Hmm. They're different from a fantasy um, or a delusion. But a myth is a vehicle for truth. So basically, I wrote about what is the truth that rides the vehicle of the conspiracy myth that doesn't mean that it's literally true, and it doesn't mean that it isn't literally true. Like, that's not hmm. even the right question, or that's not the question that I was uh, exploring in the essay. So mm -hmm. I, I drew out things such as, uh, like one of the truths, uh, is, is, is our, it, it gives voice to our, uh, to our intuition that there's a lot more 
to the world than what we've been told. That that there's a larger reality that we're not fully aware of and that is hidden from us. Who is doing the hiding? Okay, the conspiracy theories say, okay, it's these guys. Mm. Uh, but there are other ways that things can be hidden from us. They can be hidden through ideological systems that mm. are not the conscious creation of any one person, but that um, take hold in a society. They can be the product of, of, or, or say another example, uh, uh, the idea that there's some invisible power pulling the strings of our world. And, and that power is so pervasive and so strong that even presidents and executives are under its dominion. Mm. Okay. What is that power? Like that doesn't that ring true? Mm. Conspiracy theory says that that power is, you know, the secret cabal of Illuminati or the reptilian aliens or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But that, but you could also equally locate that power in something like capitalism or mm-hmm. something like money. I mean, if there's one thing that pervades the whole world and pulls all the strings, mm-hmm. sounds like money to me, mm-hmm. or it could be patriarchy or white supremacy or something like that. Uh, what I think it actually is, is the um, myth of separation, the myth of the mm-hmm. separate self uh, and of human progress as being uh, progress in our ability to control the world, to control the other, to dominate reality. That mythology that narrates what progress is, that's something that pulls the strings on a really deep level and can make us all into its puppets. Um, yeah, and then just just like the idea that there's more to reality than we know. That's true. <laughs> what the, the reality is that we don't know. Oh, and another one, that that there is some kind of intelligence in the events of the world. Uh, some kind of orchestration going on. Yeah. Does that orchestration necessarily have to be some group of guys? Who's or the conductor? Could, <laughs> yeah. Right. Or could it be um, something like the 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 emergent uh, collective intelligence, like 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 the Carl Jung was talking about? You know, mm. just because a synchronicity happens doesn't mean that some dude arranged it. Mm. But haven't you ever had in your life these synchronicities? Like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe I ran into that person mm. at this moment, at this place. And like, you know, the paranoid mind can go into like, you know, is the is the CIA like monitoring me and setting this up? Am I on the Truman Show? Yeah. <laughs> right. Am I on the Truman Show? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, like the Truman Show carries a powerful truth too. That's why it's such a compelling movie. So this is what I think is going on here. Uh, and what I'm saying could be, it, it, it applies whether or not some or all or none of these conspiracies are literally factually, objectively true. Mm. And in there, like one of the things that I found myself um, reflecting on as you were, one of the things perhaps you said it or I was reflecting on it was um even the fact of like literal truth, like that's literally true, right? That statement is based on the myth of objective mm-hmm. reality. <laughs> that's just... right. That's that's right. That's that's an expression of one of the foundational myths of our civilization. 
that there is something outside of ourselves that we can um, uh, prove uh, and gain certainty and control over uh, mm. through, I would call them rituals. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, any any mythology has rituals associated with it, and our rituals are called scientific experiments, where you perform this elaborate procedure, and and you divine certain information. It's like a mm -hmm. divinatory practice. You know, you you it provides a, a portal to the truth. Mm. And it depends on metaphysical assumptions, such as the repeatability of experiments, the isolability of variables, mm -hmm. um, the um, uh, independence of the observer, uh, the assumption that the questions you ask do not change fundamentally the reality that you're questioning, mm. things like that. Like, you can't prove these. These are metaphysical. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I'm hearing you, I'm like, some scientist, Charles, might be uh, rubbed the wrong way to be called an uh, alchemist. But anyway. <laughs> Actually, though, I mean, I, yeah, like, it, if you, I, I do um, often think of science as a religion. But it's only science's conception of religion that turns that into a disparaging term. Mm. But if you say, okay, what is the purpose of a religion? A religion is a vehicle for um, a sacred principle and the sacred principle underneath science that it embodies and at its best that it expresses is the principle of humility. That's what science is. Fundamentally, like at its core essence, science is, I do not know, so I shall ask. Mm. I shall ask the world outside of myself. I shall let go of my preconceptions. I shall allow the data to to change my mind i will mm. not be attached that's the sacred essence of science and mm. that's a beautiful thing and the priests that we call scientists at their best they dutifully enact this humility and at their worst and especially as it becomes institutionalized which is what happens to all religions i think when they become institutionalized they lose touch with their sacred essence then they serve the opposite uh, they become arrogant. And I think that a lot of the uh, abuses of science today and the dysfunction of science uh, really is an expression of arrogance. Mm. Uh, one aspect of it is the confirmation bias, the institutionalized confirmation bias and paradigm protection that uh, happens through publication bias and funding bias, you know, and the incursion of money into science, certain sciences more than others. Maybe not so much in mathematics, maybe a lot in uh, pharmaceutical research. Um, you know, the more money there is, the, then usually uh, the more resistant a scientific establishment is to uh, heterodox, you know, paradigms that that challenge core assumptions. So mm. anyway, I'm, this is, I'm not sure how philosophical we want me to get here, but. Okay. As as philosophical as you can get. <laughs> wait, we're just wisps on a cloud now. Okay, sorry, wait, bring it back. <laughs> um, so in we're talking about biases, and this kind of links into a question that I wanted to ask um, today was uh, leading into the conspiracy, why do we need in the zeitgeist a invisible power pulling these strings? Like why is that? in this in the story in the narrative like why is that part of the it, archetype yeah. Ooh, it's, it's really hard 
for somebody who has grown up in a Western education and Western worldview mm. to accept that intelligent, purposeful action can happen without a deliberate. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Source of the purpose or the design. Like to understand that order can emerge spontaneously out of chaos, that beauty, that intelligence can be a property of the universe, not mm. imposed upon it by a God or a human or a conscious agent of some sort, but that the world itself is alive and the world itself is conscious. So that's, that's part of it on a, on a really deep level. And then, you know, we, we, we come from uh, uh, an educational system that basically has told us we have all the answers. Here's how it works. Here are the four fundamental forces of nature. Here's like, we, we, we know what's real and what isn't real. And then something happens in your life that violates what you were told is real. So the natural stepping stone is, well, everything they told us was a lie and here's what's real. So to jump from one authority and one totalizing narrative mm -hmm. to another one from one theory of everything to another theory of everything mm -hmm. that's a stepping stone but it's not the deepest initiation that we can go through a deeper initiation actually has to go through a phase of i have no idea what's going on a phase of bewilderment uh, so that we can um open up we can go to the to, to the appreciation of multiple paradoxical viewpoints to hold paradox um, and not as a permanent state, but the ability to hold paradox is necessary to uncover the deeper reality that resolves the paradox. Yeah. So, so our, our society is not comfortable with paradox. It's not comfortable with contradiction. We want mm. to have certainty. We want, to just, we want to say, here's who's right and here's who's wrong. Here's what's true and here's what's false. So typically, if we get um, contradictory or paradoxical information, like data points that don't fit the story, we just banish them. Hmm. Uh, they're, they're, they're banished collectively to the realm of you know, pseudoscience or new age airy-fairy nonsense or whatever. And even on a personal level, like I've done this, like I've had experiences. I'm like, wow, I do not understand what happened. How what can I make of that? I'm just not going to think about it. 
Because mm. if I really think about it and take it in, that changes everything. Mm. Changes my entire life and who I think I am and how I'm going to live in the world. So let's just push that one away. Mm. So I think that that the willingness to entertain paradox, by entertain, I do mean like a guest, you know, to really bring it in and allow it um, to, to be at home here. That is a profound, uh, a profound path of, of self-development, especially in these times. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that because that was going to be almost where I was trying to punchline the conversation today into, which is <laughs> here we are already. So one of the things that was, um, present for me as as I was reading this is I was fascinated to hear your take on conspiracy on the conspiracy myth um fundamentally because I've been down the the conspiracy rabbit hole and I'm aware even as I'm sharing that the language that I'm using is quite loaded calling it the conspiracy rabbit hole um but it started with you know where does who presses play on the money to be injected into society um to all the way to our certain political leaders male or female and does hollywood do people like it was it just started becoming oh, yeah. I, I, I know this i'm familiar with those yeah it's like the whole and, universe is it, and whole reality yeah right and then you start picking yeah. them apart and one led to the other 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 and i started getting into this sea of things where i was just like and i could feel just how a it was ent- it was really entertaining for my mind like it was so nice to just have things to pin right mm-hmm. um and we can talk about that in just a moment but what was what came up for me was it was a full six to 12 months that i was legitimately like i felt my identity as one of like a conspiracy theorist but more just everything that was presented that was mainstream was like nah there's something underneath that story that is more present now we can talk about where that comes from, but fundamentally I had to go through a process of realization and this was huge for me. Um, so I'm just going to take a moment to share, which was the story's not serving me. The story's really not serving me. I'd like getting sucked into this, this myth after myth, after myth, after myth. And it's like what you kind of allude to in the, in the, in the essay is, you know, we have this relationship with myth and reality and it's like, okay, well, I'm consciously some part of me, like control is a conversation we can have as well, but some part of me is present to my life and I get to choose to some degree, you know, the reality, the myth that I want to sort of show up with. And that became huge for me because it was like, perhaps the myth is true. Perhaps, you know, Perhaps, you know, it just is coincidence or whatever, right? In there, I literally had to bring it back to, for me, the 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 saving grace was finding my center. And my center for me was like legitimately accessed by, okay, let's come back home. What is my relationship with my earth, my water, my fire, and my food? You know, it was literally just earth, fire, wind, and water. Like, am I, eat, am I drinking good water? Yes. You know, am I getting sun? Yes. Am I eating good nourishing food? Yes. You know, and it was legitimately like, I know how bare bones and simple that feels. And it's almost like why, but that's how deep these stories and narratives get in. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not really serving me. 
but like what is serving me okay my relationship with the basic principles i'm well hydrated i'm looked after there's no actual like separation or like you know not like trying to have this conversation around okay what like my money where is it coming from and then how is that really serving me but i've got good food you know okay and that's making sure that i am robust i am looking after myself and so bringing it back to like bare principles and that was fundamental in just coming back to a center to then be able to hold the paradoxical views that you're referring to in my experience yes uh it is quite very much like an addiction to dive down those conspiratorial rabbit holes uh and and i find when i go there when i dabble in it a little too much like i'm always looking for the next uh piece of confirmation <laughs> you know and the next the next hit of i knew it, I knew <laughs> it. these evil people are in charge you know here's another outrage like like another level of the indignity uh that inspires this this righteous indignation and plays into maybe a part of myself that that is comfortable with being like a persecuted misunderstood loner uh or part of a small group you know interestingly enough like the the cornerstone of most of the conspiracy theories is some kind of an illuminati yeah that is in control of the world well by by participating in this theorizing you yourself become part of an illuminati yeah totally we're you're giving ones. your power to them <laughs> yes well like it's like you're the ones now we are the ones who understand the yeah. real workings of the world so there's yeah. a kind of an elitism that is this dark mirror to yeah. the elitism that we are uh reading into events so one thing that complicates this all okay so like like as you were saying ultimately to get out of Okay, I want to say two things at once. You're you're speaking to um I'm e eating good food, I'm drinking good water, I'm here. Mm -hmm. I feel okay. Like th this is um you're accessing other sources of information. Th that kind of information comes through the body. It mm -hmm. doesn't come through the internet. Mm -hmm. And to maintain our sanity when there is so much misinformation and disinformation and spin and hype and narrative warfare and uh like all that kind of stuff and who knows i mean it's only going to get worse deep fake videos like how are you going to know that anything is real yeah that if if you're going to base your uh understanding of the world only on that you're mm. going to be lost so we need to anchor into other sources of information and those are not dependent on what somebody is telling you on the internet it mm. is um it 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 requires opening up other capacities that are i mean i mean indigenous people are much more familiar with these capacities mm. and uh because their cultures practice them and cultivate mm. them uh, but all of us have uh the, the the these other capacities in latent form and it starts with simply paying attention uh paying attention to the things that maybe we haven't been paying attention to the things that the dominant mythology says are not important i mean the dominant mythology says that what's important is the mind and the things that we can learn through the mind and that's what's rewarded things the manipulation of symbols basically mm. that's what our society is built on uh, 
And there's nothing wrong with the manipulation of symbols. All societies, or most, uh, had what we would call magic. Magic is a superstitious belief that by manipulating symbols, you change reality. Well, that's obviously true. <laughs> Dollar signs are symbols. You manipulate symbols in a bank account and you do change reality. It's true. <laughs> so, so, you know, we're, we're no more or less magical than any other society. But there are many other ways to, that, that are getting cut off from us with COVID lockdowns where we're left only with this, you know, and, and here I am, everything, well, supposedly everything that you're communicating to me has been converted into data and sent across satellites and, you know, through my computer to me. But even in this situation, if I shift my attention, I can tune into other sources of information mm -hmm. that ride the carrier wave of the data, but are not in the data. It's almost like the Zoom link that we have is a, uh, a key that mm. opens a, a line of transmission. Mm. Like we can connect that's a little hard because if I look at you, then I'm not looking at my camera. And so yeah. I'm making eye contact. <laughs> but, you know, even with that impediment, mm. I've got to actually get a, find a way to put my camera like on my screen or something. But um, even with that. Right where my eyes are, Charles, like, right. <laughs> like two cameras, close please. Enough, One here. I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. But, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's, <laughs> totally. even in this situation, uh, we can communicate soul to soul. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of uh, capacity that that is important to cultivate right now. Because mm. otherwise, there's no way out of the maze. You're never going to know what's true. The more you investigate any conspiracy theory, the more true it becomes. Not only will you selectively take in the data that fits the theory, but in some mysterious way, you will encounter. It's almost as if the world bends itself into conformity with the theory mm. so that it seems more and more objectively true. Like you get yep. these, these synchronistic confirmations. Mm. I, I was uh, once knew a woman who was really deep into um, 9 11 truth, you know, uh, and this is one of these border regions. Like the thing is like, as you were saying, you just go deeper and deeper and deeper in. Uh, and pretty soon, like you're into the world of flat earth conspiracy and like, you know, mm. Luciferian cults and like there's like no clear dividing line mm -hmm. where something plausible ends and fantastical begins and a lot of like even this is something I'm cautious about right now is to disparage somebody as being just a blatant conspiracy theorist in order to bolster my own credibility mm. like okay well at least I don't fall for this mm. you know like it's like you know if you're the weird kid at school you 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 bully the even weirder kid Mm -hmm. so that you can fit in a little bit and get some cred. So mm -hmm. I can denounce somebody as new age or something like that and therefore establish that I'm not, you know, in that category. <laughs> anyway, so I knew this woman who was doing 9-11 truth research, you know, and weird shit started to happen. Like one day she got pulled over by seven police cars, all the lights flashing and stuff, and they, they um, took her into the police station 
And she was like, oh my God, you know, I'm getting taken to the gulag, et cetera. And then they just let her go, you know? And, and like one time she received like this big packet of documents in, in the mail, all in Russian. And like, she had no idea where they were from or why, like stuff like that happened that is very uh, uh, useful material to construct a, uh, a theory in which you're like important. Mm. And there are these powers, you know, who've taken notice of me and are coordinating against me. But it could also be that there was some, you know, administrative error and they took her in and they were embarrassed about it. Mm. So then like you investigate, okay, did that actually happen? Suppose mm. you want to say, okay, is this lady crazy or not? Did it actually happen? You never can pin it down. You look mm. at the police log and it's not there. Well, that proves it's a conspiracy, doesn't it? Because <laughs> they wouldn't put it there if it, if there was actually, like you, you can never pin it down. The fodder feeds the fire. <laughs> yeah. Right. So this yeah. is the maze that I'm talking about. And mm. then, and the exit to the mm. maze uh, is not available. Uh, you know, the, the, the way out of the matrix is not available in the matrix. Mm. In fact, Morpheus says this in the matrix, basically. Mm. He, he said, he said to Neo in their first interview, he said, um, you know, you've been at, he's like the movie starts with what is the matrix? He's trying to figure out what the matrix is, but all of his inquiries are still in the matrix. Mm -hmm. Cannot find the boundary of the matrix from the matrix. Hmm. However, his attempts to understand the matrix draw the attention of Morpheus, hmm. who then can take him out of the matrix. Hmm. So, so there's, so basically what it's saying is that there is um, Morpheus. Like, what is your Morpheus? Hmm. What is, what do you summon through your futile attempts to understand the matrix from within the matrix? Mm. And so for me, that actually looks like a call to spirituality, hence why it was the earth, fire, exactly. wind, and water, which was basic principles 101. Hey, Charles, I'm going to try and articulate what I'm feeling, um, and hopefully we can, we can riff on it. So what I'm hearing is um, like I, I can feel in this conversation that intentionally things are being kept slippery. And I understand that it's for that paradoxical nature because the, before we pin ourselves down as to, okay, like with this perspective, it's like hold the paradox for the other so that you're not actually slipping into a perspective too far and too wide to be able to honour both perspectives so that we're not actually um, honing in on a, on a particular type of thought, um, if that's what I can call it. It's probably not the best way to articulate that. But the conspiracies tend to be quite... Um, robust and serving a narrative and quite well pinned down yes when we're in it the the rabbit hole is quite slippery but as an entity the conspiracy theory is quite solid quite robust quite i can take a bite of it and i can keep chewing and i can keep chewing down the rabbit hole almost and i i do wonder if just simply that convenience is an instrument of enable like that enables the the conspiracy theory because it's it, right. it you know yes uh so so that is a danger um to basically like philosophize everything and to say well you know this is just one reality and here's another reality so i'm not going to address it on its own terms 
Um, and basically, it's an excuse not to do anything and to just be aloof from everything. That's kind of what you're mm -hmm. saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just keep it slippery. So, so here's here's what I, what I've come to in thinking about that question, hmm. which is that there's always something to do. Maybe or usually something to do hmm. that makes sense regardless of the factual accuracy of the theory. So if we are talking about um, hidden powers controlling events behind the scenes, what gives them their power? What enables them to have such power? What is the fertile ground in which they operate? What is the psychology that, 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 that brings people to just go along with it? Why are people so easily fooled? Mm. Um, why do they not think critically? Uh, how does it serve people to believe in a lie? And I think that, that um, the most potent disposition of modern people um, is the, the, I think we might've talked about this last time, like the solution template of find an enemy, mm. like the predisposition to see the world in terms of good and evil, mm. to see the world in terms, to see the solution in terms of conquering evil. Mm. Once you have that, once, once that's established, then people are very easy to set against each other, to fight each other instead of looking deeper for the cause, mm. which is why um, any kind of uh, peace work, any kind of any work that diffuses judgment, that attempts to create uh, transparency instead of punishment, uh, like that that um, spreads nonviolence, like all of those things uh, that 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 diffuses judgment and tribalization and so forth. Um, all of these things, they're valuable if there is no conspiracy and they're valuable if there is a conspiracy. So that's what I look for. I look for the, for what makes sense either way. And I look for the hidden agreements underneath a debate between two different sides or the, what unifies different realities. So in the case of the conspiracy reality, and we mentioned it before, uh, that in both, um, there is, both of them see the world in terms of control. Mm. Uh, the, our dominant system is built on control on every level. Uh, science is, uh, it, it gives birth to technologies of, of control. And, you know, conspiracy theories hand control over to the Illuminati, but it's still the same uh, conception of the universe, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes, it is time to take a stand. You know, it's not like I have no opinions about anything. Hmm. Um, there, there are, there are, and I could get like really metaphysical, but I'll just say that, that there are some positions that I will stand by. Um, and some of them are sort of aligned with conventional views and some of them are not, hmm. you know, um, like I think that to the extent that, I mean, see, it gets, I mean, I was going to say, I believe that UFOs are authentic, um, and that 
something totally unexplainable by conventional science has been happening for many decades. Uh, I don't know that they are of extraterrestrial origin, but I think that they are. Um, but even that, to say that they exist, like this is, this is where it gets slippery for me, is when we let go of the assumption of an objective reality outside of ourselves, what happens? Mm. Enter into, does that mean, like, where do we go from there when we let go of that? Not necessarily into beliefs create reality and the external world is merely a projection screen for our inner world. Mm -hmm. But where I go is that there is some kind of mysterious and intimate connection between the inner and the outer mm -hmm. with the emphasis on, on mysterious. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean? So, so in the, the worldview of objectivity, it's a Cartesian worldview. It says that if something happened, that means that at point X comma Y comma Z, time <laughs> T, it happened. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in quantum mechanics, that's nonsense. Mm. There is no such thing as an objective event at X comma Y comma Z at time T, except as relative to an observer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you don't measure it, then it is in a superposition of having happened and having not happened. Mm. So, so if you amplify that somehow, and, and, and if we are going to talk about interstellar space travel, there's going to have to be some, uh, some violation of um, relativistic laws for mm. that to happen. Like there has to be some kind of quantum jump or something going on there. Uh, mm -hmm. And the behavior of spacecraft uh, uh, suggests that that is going on because the, the, the UFOs, they make sharp right angle turns and stuff like that. Mm. that, that would subject any occupants to infinite G forces. Like there's yeah. no way that they are moving in the rea in reality as we conceive it. Mm -hmm. something's going on here. So anyway, this is like, I almost can't answer this question Mm -hmm. without taking it deeper into the nature of reality. Mm. And, and, and oh, yeah, sorry, go on, please. I'm just, just I'll just add the, 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 the intimate part of it mm. um, being that, that all of these different, and you experience this when, when you're like, I'm not really sure if I like who I am when I'm inhabiting this conspiracy world, mm. all of these beliefs correspond to a state of being. So I could, you know, go into like, say, a genuine right-wing conspiracy theory where, you know, Black Lives Matter is the creation of George Soros, et cetera, et cetera. And, and like, I can't overthrow that just based on evidence. But who I become within that feels mm. kind of pinched, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. ungenerous. It's like, mm -hmm. that's not me. So when I do take sides, because I do, like, I'm not it's like, oh, they're all equal. You know, they're all metaphysically equal. <laughs> You're just a neutral blob floating through. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like I, I, I look for who I become, how they co-resonate with myself and which one invites me into, as you would say, my better self, mm -hmm. my next self. Mm -hmm. And there is, a, there is a conscious choice that is available to us to some degree, but we are also impregnated into the myth that we are operating in. And sometimes, yeah, you know, it takes some level of suffering to identify that sometimes. One of the key things that um, you were referring to is the intimate. And, and what, yeah, 
I am taking away from what you just shared was one of my deepest things that I consistently sit with is that we're all the universe looking in on ourselves. Um, and by order of refraction and light and looking in on itself, uh, there is there is uh, less incentive for the Charles to be identical to Amrit, <laughs> you know, because uh-huh. the curiosity is not then satisfied. We're like, well, you're, uh, one of us is superfluous to the grand design of it all, right? And so in that, when we're talking about... Um, Yes, still having our part, still having our views, still having our positions. Um, I see where that comes in. You know, it's like, yep, I'm still going to have my opinions. I'm still going to have what I side and align with. But the invitation, as you shared, um, was, yeah, how do I tune into my center and what is actually in service to me, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, brother, from there, I... um, I, I do want to talk about this, this conversation around separation um, because the conspiracies themselves are an amazing agent for separation in themselves um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a first point to start. But then secondly, there's this idea of if I'm taking on the idea of an overlord, then there's this us, me, and them, as you referred to before. There's a separation there. Um, it's almost like its own pandemic mm-hmm. of separation <laughs> that it opens up. Yeah. It sure is more convenient, like psychologically, <clears throat> to make the problem something external to yourself. Mm. Like it's it's because if you don't separate out evil and project it onto, you know, some nefarious overlords, then you're left to look at your own complicity, uh, your own participation in evil. And that can be uncomfortable, uh, both because, you know, we don't want to think of ourselves that way, uh, but also because we don't know what to do about it. <laughs> you know, like, like Amrit, are you the kind of person who would uh, willingly subjugate uh, a young woman to 12-hour days in a dangerous sweatshop just so that you could save a little bit of money. Would you do that to a woman? I'd like to think I wouldn't, but then I also <laughs> You'd like do. To think you wouldn't, but, but every time you comparison shop, you know, you are per- participating in a system that has price bidding, you know, and the, su- the subcontractors of the suppliers of the clothing manufacturers, you know, they're trying to get the best deal. Even if there's nobody who would actually like to do that, it still happens. It's not advertised on the, it's not on the label. <laughs> yeah. No, it still happens mm. and nobody is, is maliciously perpetrating it. Mm. So you can't solve the problem by weeding out the weeds, mm. the noxious weeds, the, the taking out the bad people, sending Batman in there to, to, you know, kill the kingpins or whatever and, and problem solved. Because you're part of that problem, you know? So mm-hmm. I think, and again, I'm not saying that a conspiracy theory is just this, but part of what it is, is the out projection of one's own complicit particip- participant in systems of evil. Um, but, you know, just because it's convenient doesn't mean that it's true. Mm. And just mm. because it's comforting and convenient doesn't mean it's not true either. You know, like, I, I do think that there is some explanatory power uh, in, like, uh, like here's another uh, 
truth in cons the conspiracy myth, which is that what we are, what we see in the media, in this, this circus, I mean, words like circus come very naturally. It's a show. Mm. It's a spectacle. Uh, it's not what's really going on. There are things happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. That's and conspiracy theories um, invite us to look at that. So even if it's even if it, um, they're not literally true in the total sense of the whole world runs by conspiracy, uh, they're definitely part of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, like like the Kennedy assassinations, for example obvious conspiracies mm -hmm. like it's 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 hard to imagine well I, I understand why they were the public accepted the official explanation because <clears throat> to reject the official explanation would be to reject so much of what we hold as true mm. um, and this is another another aspect of the conspiracy myth that that carries truth like I, I respect the people who are devoting their lives to elaborating the conspiracy myths Mm -hmm. These are these are storytellers. These are myth makers. These deserve our respect, not our condemnation and cringe. Yeah, yeah. Like people like David Ike. Like you know, I'm not here to beat up on David Ike. Um, mm. He's doing a valuable service, and you know, who knows how much of what he says is true, and how much of it is the gathering of data points to fit a theory, mm. intentional and unintentional, and and synchronistic. You know, who knows? Mm. But He's definitely showing us something. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, the, the the to some extent, 9-11, um, but to a much greater extent, the, the Kennedy assassinations are you don't have to dig that deep mm. to realize that that the public fell for um what they wanted to believe. Mm. You know, and that's another aspect of it. Like it only works if people want to be deceived. Mm. And so if you want to address the fertile ground for uh, a uh, Illuminati to control the world, that's one of the places to look. Like what part of us wants to be deceived? Mm. What part of us is afraid of the truth? What part of us is resistant to our reality falling apart? Mm. Because when our reality falls apart, then our identity falls apart. When the world falls apart, who we are in relation to the world falls apart. So people actually welcome the charade presented to them because maybe we're not ready yet to expand into the selves that we become when that shell finally dissolves. Yeah, and so thank you so much for this. Wow, that was put so eloquently, brother. Um, and so in there, one of the things that comes up for me is this relationship with even the, back to even just the purchasing power question, like, you know, when I'm buying a T-shirt and it's, and it's most optimal, or even what you're referring to, the inner world and the outer world and how we're navigating that. This is going to sound like an excuse, so pardon me for <laughs> the way this sounds, but I'm a human being with limited awareness, right? Um, or perhaps I've chosen that as my myth <laughs> and there is this knowing that we were potentially going to talk about at some point because there was a, 
a flag in there for me. But this, with our, like, how possible is it to make every decision consciously? Um, and this perhaps leans a little bit into some of the stuff we talked about last time in sacred economics. And, you know, like, I, I, I make the best decision I can with the bandwidth that I've got to afford the situation. Um, and so in that space, like, it seems like to heal the separation paradigm, it's about bringing awareness, what is the thread that's, con- like, at the, at the core of the continuum. But sometimes it's, yeah, part of the human condition to not necessarily uh, bring an entire awareness to a yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, our next stage as a species, and I think for most of us as individuals, is not to finally be free of stories, not to finally be liberated from all belief systems. Uh, what we're doing is migrating from uh, a smaller world, a smaller reality, a smaller set of beliefs, and a smaller self into a, a next set of them, into the next story, into the next drama. But that is that is what is most uniquely human about human beings on this planet is that we create stories. And these stories create roles for us to occupy. And w- when we create common stories, then we enact this drama and can create things thereby that we could not create without stories, mm-hmm. without agreements, you know, uh, without, because they, they create a beginning and an end. They create a destiny. They create a purpose. They create, they allow us to coordinate. Like this is, this is who we are um, on this plane, at least in, in with linear time, a story orders things. It orders our creativity. So this is really, I'm sorry, like super metaphysical, but all, all I'm it. saying is that, is that it's not about total liberation for me. It's about what's next. Mm. It's about what's, What's, you know, like we're, 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 we're straining at the limits of the reality that we created. That was once really liberating. Mm-hmm. The, the, the scientific reality, the scientific view of reality mm-hmm. uh, was incredibly liberating in 1750 when we were, were constrained by the, by, you know, religious dogmatism and stuff. And now that reality and the state of being associated with it the rational enlightened individual that's becoming pretty confining right now. It's becoming pretty cramped uh, mm-hmm. and we're straining against these, these bonds uh, wanting to, to, you know, to shed that skin and um, inhabit a bigger world. And, and we're getting the, the invitations into that world all the time. Like we keep experiencing things that are just impossible from within that scientific reality. I'm sure you've experienced things in your life that are, that science would say are impossible. Couldn't have happened. Many people have experienced these, not everybody. Um, and if you have not experienced a miracle in your life, that doesn't mean that you are less evolved because we need people to develop the um, inner strength and uh, the, the muscle of faith that doesn't receive much nourishment. Mm. So, so, you know, the, that's another whole topic, but, but many of us do receive uh, invitations into the larger reality 
in, in the form of things that science says are impossible. It could be you know a healing experience or um, some kind of mystical experience or a precognitive dream or you know um, a session with a psychic and like oh my god how could she have possibly known that you know does she have my CIA file you know <laughs> that kind of experience. But many people have had these experiences. Yeah. So so th those are those are the knockings at the door mm. uh, of a uh, larger reality. So so you know and then someday we will molt again and write new stories that allow new kinds of evolution of our species or even beyond our species. Yeah, that was uh, one of the biggest lessons I've learned actually um, in this story <laughs> is, um, is that actually what I, what I see is what I idealize as being liberation for me is actually not what I idealize it to be. And actually for me, liberation is entirely woven into service um, mm -hmm. to what's next and allowing the emergent properties and just being a part of, you know, the inspired evolution that is underway, you know, what is my role in this story and just, you know, serving that to the best of my ability. And in that I'm actually free, but looking from the outside in, it's like, but you're, you're stuck, you're serving this thing. <laughs> it's like, but that is, yeah. like, I'm playing my role. That is my liberation in the story. Yeah. You know? And, and you, you have, you know, from your uh, introductory yell, it's <laughs> obvious that, that your body is communicating a yes to you to play this role right now, you know, and someday maybe it'll feel kind of routine, you know, and you'll feel like you're faking it, you know, and if you really listen to that, then maybe that will be your guide to the next thing. And, and then, you know, that's the kind of information that your, you know, website statistics cannot give you. Really? Damn it. Fuck. I spent yeah, so much like money a, on them, Giles. <laughs> yeah, website statistics say, yeah, you're doing a good job. Yeah, you're having an impact and so forth. But like, I'm, I'm you know, I get this too. Like, like, my mind, my calculating mind says that the bigger my audience, the bigger my reach, the bigger the impact I'll have. But sometimes my body says, no, 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 here's what's important. And it might be something that will be forever invisible to the world. So which one, which one do we trust here? Yeah. And the, the invitation for me to ask this question is then poised, which is, and I almost feel like there is no answer to this, um, but how much of our story is the collective story and how much are we writing our own story within that wider narrative? Is there a micro-narrative, wider narrative? Like this essence oh, yeah. of story. I mean, definitely the, the broader story uh, influences our personal stories. Um, you know, like if you were born 50 years ago or 70 years ago, then the story of progress would have been much stronger, a much stronger influence on your life than it is today. Mm. You know, you would have aspired to be an astronaut or a <laughs> nuclear engineer, you know, or, I mean, those things were exciting then to, to mm. participate in the onward march of technology. Like that was <laughs> exhilarating. Mm. So that was a that that helped us write our stories then, and now uh, those influences are much weaker, 
And so a lot of equally brilliant young people are now going into permaculture, mm. you know, where, whereas a, a bright, ambitious young person in 1950, they weren't going to be a farmer. Yeah. As an astronaut. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so yeah, the, there's a, um, a definite, you know, that. So yeah. just at a, just off the cuff, like there's also this, um, interesting renaissance for like meditation inward practices um it's almost like there is some sort of we've pushed for the outer and then we're pushing for the inner as well there is this yeah. thing that we're undergoing right yeah or it seems um, yeah i mean meditation is one of the ways that we can access these sources of information and these capacities that are not available through the internet, not available through the mind, not available through our technologies of control, through our systems of symbol and representation. Um, they, it, it is, yeah, uh, one of the ways that we access different sources of knowledge. Hmm. So they are, I think that's one reason why meditation is so appealing to many people today. That's um, it's really timely that you're reflecting on that with me here. Um, simply because I've recently been done a few podcasts on intuition, and uh, actually you mentioned something similar in your in your essay, which is I interviewed um, Sonia Shaket. She's a she's a spiritual teacher in in the states on on intuition, and she interviewed a hundred CEOs on what they thought was their like key tool to being like best CEO sort of thing. And uh, she was, then they all unanimously said uh, intuition. And then subsequently when asked, <laughs> would you like, would you tell your second in charge that intuition is your, is your key tool? A hundred percent said no. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. It's supposed to be data and analysis. Yeah, it's meant to stuff. be right. a control. Like, I'm meant to like, yeah. I need something tangible. <laughs> right. I don't want to know that the world's running on a hunch. Um, but in that, the, the key thing that I subsequently have had a couple of other podcasts and what's been dropping in is even intuition has this, uh, has this potential, but it's also a bit hazy and wispy. Um, and inviting in the conversation around a knowing, like there is a, a field of knowing perhaps that is available to us. And I reflect on this from the conversation that you were sharing before in terms of, yes, right now there is the data signal communication between Charles and Amrit, but then there is also the fact that two souls have collided to communicate with one another in this present moment, in this reality of whatever this reality is made of. Um, and here we are having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that intuition is, it's, I, I would say it's, it's more mysterious and less mysterious than people think. People think it's like this totally other faculty that's separate from our other uh, mental faculties, mm. um, separate from reason, separate from observation, uh, separate from practice, you know. But my understanding of intuition was deepened by reading um, Wade Davis's, the anthropologist Wade Davis's work on Polynesian navigators mm. who are without, you know, able without instruments uh, to, uh, and there's very, very few left. Um, maybe it's having a resurgence now, but, but 
they almost died out, like this, this lineage almost died out of navigators who without any instruments whatsoever could find you know, tiny dots of an island over hundreds of miles of open ocean. And, and you know, I can, you can imagine like, they're like, okay, change course, you know, one, one, one degree to the left, you know, mm. starboard or whatever the word is. Mm. And, and someone say, well, how do you know that? You know, it seems like intuition. And they might be able to explain it. They might be able to say, well, you know, it's because the way that they learn, the way that they're trained, they learn to observe the flight patterns of birds and mm. the currents and, um, and like the, the, the sea life, you know, and the stars and like so many things, you know, the patterns of the clouds, like they, there's so many things that they observe mm. and they might be able to explain some of those and provide what seems like actually a very rational answer. Mm. Uh, but that chain of reason over time and with practice, it gets internalized and combined mm -hmm. with other uh, ways of observing and inferring uh, that make it unexplainable, but it's not mm -hmm. actually separate from reason. Like the traditional training for these people was to immerse them, like to when they were toddlers, to put them uh, into you know, protected coves and stuff so that they could feel currents mm. and waves and understand on a deep body level, the ocean. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not like they just enter some altered state and, oh, an intuition pops into my head. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's like this, um, that conception of intuition is, you know, like, I don't want to discount it, like, but, but it is, anti-materialist you know mm. like um and i think that I, I i like to embrace more of reality in my spirituality mm. more of materiality and not uh coordinate off into a separate realm a non-material realm so mm. and, and i'm not pro you know professing to be an expert on intuition mm. um but for me, like sometimes I do this uh, when I when I hold workshops. You know, we do this activity where we we name the gifts of the person standing in front of us, mm. and like I'll get started. I'll demonstrate it first, and I'll get started. You know, and and pretty soon, like you know, the person is in tears because I'm like naming. Like, how did you see that? Uh, it seems like I have like some mysterious psychic ability, but it's actually. Like I uh, just see an expression, I make an inference. It's actually, in in my experience, quite rational, mm -hmm. but it uh, is experienced by somebody as being like that. I'm like some, you know, like I'm psychic or something like that. <laughs> and then everybody does it. Mm. You know, it's not like I have a special ability. Like once once I set the field of that ability, then everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Well, that's a little bit of what I have to say about intuition. Yeah. I think there's a couple of layers of permission in there as well. In just the example that you were sharing is first, um, I, I get that, you know, perhaps we've all been conditioned with the water body and that sinks into our cellular sort of gut and our body and it becomes a memory and it's like, yep, and it all becomes part of our rational reasoning. But I do know, having worked with people, that when that surfaces, uh, there's also a moment where it's like, uh-huh, honor it, 
or it's like, oh, no, that's that's not, <laughs> you know. And so there's like this level of permission sometimes that is required to sort of go, okay, I'm going to explore, even though this makes me really vulnerable, makes me woo-woo, makes me come across as hunchy, and but this is what I want to say. And if you're lucky, I feel, or, you know, in, my, in my, most of my cases, actually, when I operate on that, and I share, like I've been doing this in this podcast already, like there was all, like already a set idea of where I was going to go. I had no point at time that I think we were going to discuss intuition, but I'm kind of going like, uh-huh. okay, let's, you know, like let's just open and let's just see where it goes. And then from there, that intuition like perpetuates and then I learned something that, you know, I, I, I didn't even know that I could potentially learn and that humility is there. Um, but I think there's a couple of points of permission in A, giving yourself permission to honour the energy of what's emerging from that field of awareness that is inside rather than just tapping into the collective norm, which is, you know, just play that play that line. And then the other part is also, yeah, disconnecting from other people's narratives and what they're going to think about you for sharing this thing mm-hmm. that is just emerging from you. Yes. Yeah. I um I just want to, I'm conscious of the time. So one of the things that um really, you know, I, I loved one of the, yeah, I really love the essay. If you guys haven't tuned into it, if you haven't tuned into the fact that I love the essay, probably worth going to check it out. It's, it's a short, succinct, powerful read. Um, and I love the invitation for humility in there, brother. The, the way you put it was what unites the pundits of all persuasions is actually their certainty, who is trustworthy. And in the end, it's the person with the humility to recognize when he or she is wrong that kind of guides you into that into that space. And it's almost like an ode uh, to humility to be able to navigate life and it's um, your relationship with whatever reality you choose or are inhibiting. Um, did you want to share anything on humility in that space? The programming that we receive to be right is really strong. Mm. You know, we get it in school and it's kind of associated with being good. Mm. You get that A uh, and, and it's humiliating to be publicly shown as having been wrong. Mm. And with that programming, and it also plays into the, good, evil templates, you know, our side is right, their side is wrong. Mm-hmm. With that programming, um, many people, to some extent at least, end up serving appearing right rather than serving the truth or rather than serving healing or rather than serving justice. So either you are, are right about everything, or you're going to have to someday, if you serve truth, you're going to have to someday humiliatingly acknowledge, at least to yourself, that you were dead wrong about something. And the more of our self-esteem that we get from being right, the harder it is to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think about what makes it, like, where does humility come from? Like, what makes it... Well, it comes from humiliation and what conditions allow us to release into humiliation. For me, it's feeling safe to, to feel that I am loved, even if I'm wrong. Hmm. Um, unfortunately on the internet, 
we mostly create the opposite condition through the the just the quality of the you know comments on Facebook and things like that. Like it, it the association of wrong with bad and shameful makes it really hard ever to entertain the possibility that you could be wrong. Mm. So I want to ask, you know, are you willing to sacrifice that? If if that's what it takes to heal the world or to, to solve any problem that tears at your heart, are you willing to let go of having in the end being vindicated uh, and having it be clear that you were right all along and now they get it now they're sorry. Now they have to, they have to humiliatingly admit that they were wrong the whole time. Like, are you willing to let go of that for real? If you are willing to let go of that, then there's a chance that you can actually attain wisdom. I think the metaphor- I'm not claiming- yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not like, why am I so familiar with this psychological dynamic? It's because it's in me. So I'm not like proclaiming myself as any especially wise person. Mm. Uh, but through observing my own folly, mm. uh, at least I see the, a, a destination to aspire to. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And in there, as soon as you said, you know, the, the, I, I could see myself in class actually back in, back at school. And I was like, you know, who's right. And I've got the right answer. You know, it was like the first hand to go up and then it's like, yeah, good boy. You know, it was like the good one. But yeah. then also in that, it was like this desire to be the first one with your hand up, the first one to be right. And the, the sense of competition that is also impregnated into that. And then how the capitalistic society is then built on the competition. And it's yeah. like, okay, the wider story. And it's like, yeah, pulling a part of that thread. So yeah. Thank much for sharing yeah so if that if, if, if like anyone listening has has that tendency in themselves you know to like want to be right and yeah be easy on yourself like you came by it honestly you know this is one of the one of the uh programs that our society uh inculcates us with uh and yeah you know you notice it happening and over time it weakens its hold Charles, last question today. Um, what does an inspired evolution mean or what does it look like to you? Mm, inspired evolution. I guess what inspires evolution in me is, is uh, to witness people who are more evolved than I am um, in some way. Uh, I, I do not believe that there is a single axis of evolution, you know, and some people are more evolved than others. And, you know, some people are less conscious and more conscious than others. Uh, but there are many, many axes of development that a human being can go through. And, you know, probably all of us are really highly developed in some ways and, you know, in kindergarten and other ways. And so when I witness somebody who is at maybe one or two stages of evolution past me in a certain realm, that inspires me. It, it awakens the part of myself that's ready for that and, and, and shows me that it's, that it's possible, you know, shows me what I'm ready to become. So, and I think like, 
I find that if I look really carefully, um, pretty much everybody I meet can offer that to me. Mm. Yeah. It's like that old Buddhist technique of seeing the world as everybody in the world as a fully realized Buddha except yourself. <laughs> the whole world is set up for your enlightenment. <laughs> I love that. I yeah. love that. Oh, brother, thank you so much for your time, your energy, your presence here today. Thank you so much for your essay. Guys, the link to the essay is in the show notes. Um, and it uh, for me, it was a 15-minute read. So if you read faster or slower, it could be 10 to 20. Um, definitely, I encourage you to check it out. And Charles, thank you so much for being here today, for all the work you've done on yourself to inform this conversation and this, uh, this conversation here today. And as always, wishing you all the best for the future, brother. Yeah, thanks. It was a real delight. Uh, for real. Yeah. Thank you. you. Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the inspired evolution. If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 